The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. You may recall that the last time we were discussing this book, that we had left, we had left it with Jesus taken down from the cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. There was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was, uh, he was a believer. He was one who followed Jesus in his teachings. He was one who, I don't, know, I don't know if he had complete understanding about the resurrection. I don't know if he had a full understanding of what was occurring when Jesus was on the cross. But regardless of what he may have been thinking, we're not told that, so it's not important. This was a man who came, and we're told that he, he waited for the kingdom of God. In other words, he was looking for the kingdom of God, and he, craved, he went to Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. In another place, it said he begged the body of Jesus. Now, there's a whole message there. What a topic. Do we, do we in our darkest hours, crave the body of Jesus, or do we, uh, do we uh, lose our minds? Do we, uh, do we forget who we are, that we're children of the King? But be that as it may, he went and craved the body of Jesus, and the centurion gave it to him, and they wrapped him and laid him in a sepulcher and rolled the stone in front of the door. And that's where we left it last time. But if you remember, my last admonition to you at the end of that message was stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. The sequel is coming. That's the, that's the first novel, so to speak. The second one is on its way. And that's where we are this morning. Because now we are at a point where Jesus had foretold he would be. He had told the disciples. He had said, I'm going to be crucified. They didn't believe him. In fact, they, they fussed at him for saying, you're, you're being defeatist. You're being negative. I mean, that's what they're thinking, I'm sure. Oh, no, Lord, you're, you're, they believed he was uh, who he said he was, to a great extent at least. I don't think they fully got it, but they, they believed that he was something special, and there's just no way that, they're gonna, that this is going to happen. That, that's, you know, Peter even thought, <clears throat> Peter thought, I believe that the revolution was about to start when, when they came to get him in the garden and he drew his sword and he struck off the ear of the high priest's servant. I, I know Peter was probably saying, okay, this is it. This is the spark that's going to light the revolution that we're going to take back our country and we're going to become a, a, a nation again and, and he's going to be our king. <laughs> but he missed the whole point. He missed the whole point. And then you know the rest of the story Peter and all the disciples forsook him and fled. Even though Peter followed him, he followed him afar off. And I can tell you, beloved, when you follow him afar off, you're always going to get in trouble. And Peter did. <laughs> Peter did. He tried to keep one foot in the kingdom of God. He tried to keep the other foot in the kingdoms of this world. And he wound up warming himself by the coals of the fires of this world. And that's a bad place to be. And you just can't follow Jesus doing that. Doesn't mean you're not a child of God. Peter was a child of God. Peter's always been a child of God. He's always going to be a child of God. But if, you want to, if you're seeking the warmth of the world, 
instead of the fellowship of Christ, you're never, it's never going to turn out well. But now we're at the point where Jesus is in the tomb and the, and the stone is in the way. But we're about to see something happen here in chapter 16 of Mark. And let's just begin reading in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? But when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. No doubt, he was crucified. But now look, he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now we're going to stop right there just for a minute. Because what we've just read here is the, is the true, it's the earliest account, according to the historians. It's the first you know, Mark was written before any of the other Gospels, according to the historians. It doesn't really matter, but that's just an interesting fact to me. And, and this, is, this tells me then that this is the earliest account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a simple account. You remember what we said when we started this whole Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark is just really simple. It's sweet. It's the shortest Gospel. I love the Gospel of Mark. And remember, according to the historians... The Apostle Peter is dictating this to Mark, who is writing it down. Again, that doesn't matter. It's still the Word of God, no matter who wrote it. But I find that also very interesting and kind of neat to know where this is coming from. Peter is telling Mark what happened. And he's telling them as a direct uh, uh, observer of what happened. And, and here's the earliest account of the resurrection. Now let me stop right here and tell you something about the resurrection. We all know that the resurrection is scientifically impossible. If you go to, to nature and natural processes and you look into the science of it, it's impossible. It is scientifically impossible, but I affirm to you this morning, it is historically true. It is a true account. This actually happened. Jesus Christ really is the risen King who is victorious over death, who is ruling and reigning today over all creation. You see, we started this chapter or this book of Mark with the statement, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not Jesus Christ, some great prophet. Not Jesus Christ, a great scribe. Not Jesus Christ, a great uh, king and war leader or political leader or a great philosopher. He was all of that. He was all of that, but he was more than that. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here we read finally the fruition of His life's work here on this earth and His purpose in being here and the reason it is good news. <laughs> Listen, I, I've read some of the writings of the Buddha. I've read some of Confucius's sayings. I've read a good bit about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And there's some good stuff in there. There's some really interesting and, and true facts, some true statements, some, some good proverbs. 
It, it don't hurt you to read those things. It, it won't hurt you to see some. But let me tell you, in none of those do I find anything that excites my heart, that causes me to have joy like the reading about what Jesus not only said, but what he did. He came here and he taught us truth. He, he, is, he was the way, the truth, and the life. But praise God, He didn't just teach us some good things. He didn't just lay out a good pathway for us to walk. He walked a pathway we could not walk. He died a death we could not die. And He was resurrected in a way that no one had ever been resurrected. Oh, praise God. Oh, there's a lot in that. <laughs> there's a lot in that. You know, <clears throat> this truth, this fact, of the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. One of my favorite people, I put it that way, when I was coming up was a man named Carl Sagan. He, he wrote a book entitled Cosmos. He was the uh, originator of a PBS series in, of the same name. And it talked about all of the amazing facts of physics and astronomy that, that we can read about and, and, and see in this natural world. He, he talked about this creation. He didn't call it creation, but that's what he was talking about. And he, he was an amazing individual, and he was a smart man, but he also was an atheist. He didn't believe. He didn't believe that, uh, that the, the worlds were created by the Word of God, the capital W, Word of God, by the way. He didn't believe in the afterlife. You know, I enjoyed and still enjoy reading some of his writings. But when I read his writings, while I get true facts in many ways from what he's true physics, true science from him, I don't get any true joy. <laughs> I don't get any true, you know, nothing, nothing changes for me to read the book Cosmos. But when I read the book uh, uh, of, of, the, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, things change. The resurrection changes everything. It was history-making, earth-shaking. It was life-transforming. It, it was eternity-changing even in a way. <laughs> I know, that, I know it was purpose from before the foundation of the world, but if Jesus had not come and died on the cross and was resurrected uh, after three days, then eternity would be lost to us, or at least the eternity that we look forward to. It would be a totally different eternity. You see, this is not, the resurrection is not just some dry doctrine, but it is a truth that should change our lives it sure changed the lives of the apostles, didn't it, and the disciples. So this morning, we're going to talk about how the resurrection changes everything. Everything. Okay, it changes our understanding of who Jesus was. It changed the apostles and the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. Every other founder of a major religion is dead. And they're only venerated in memoriam. They're only, they're, there are memorials to Buddha. There are memorials to Confucius. There are memorials to, to, to even uh, 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 Muhammad. And, and, but there is no memorial to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is not in memoriam. He is, he is in heaven today. He is alive. He is the only living founder of a major religion uh, in this world. <laughs> 
And that kind of explains what he was talking about all this time about the crucifixion, does it not? It explains why every time he had the opportunity to take the kingship of, of Israel, and, and every time they came and would have made him a king, that he passed through their midst and went that way because he did not come to be a political deliverer. We understand that he is not a political savior, but he's a savior from sin. We understand that he is not just a prophet, or not just a teacher, but the Son of God. Remember Mark 1.1? 1, 1? <laughs> Let's just turn there and read it. I've already quoted it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <laughs> We've now gotten to the point where that Jesus has been crucified. You know, I think about sweet, his sweet mother, Mary. His sweet mother Mary who, who became with child of the Holy Ghost. And you know and I know, you, human nature hadn't changed in 2,000 years. It wasn't different back then than it is now. You know and I know that when a young woman uh, becomes pregnant who's not married, that there is shame, there is uh, judgment, there are people that look down upon uh, that person. And, and, and certainly that's, that's a wrong thing to do. That's, that's not the, that I'm, I'm not saying that that's right in any way. It absolutely should not happen. But, but you know that that's what happened to her, that they, that they were, uh, they, they were shame. She was, there was some shame associated with that, at least in, the, in, in as far as the people living around her. They looked upon her in judgment. They looked upon her as someone who had done something wrong. She knew the truth. She knew what had really happened. But, but everybody, I'm sure, well, not everybody, but many around her were like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, over in the book of Acts, and we won't turn there, but sometime read that first chapter, you're going to find a place where all the apostles are all together, probably for about the last time. We, it is the last time we read about it. It may be the last time they were ever all together there in the first chapter of Acts in an upper room, all in one accord, and it says Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And I would love to see that dear lady. I would love to see the look upon her face. I'm not, it wouldn't have been a smug look, Brother Buddy. I don't mean that. But I'm sure she was grinning from ear to ear and, and probably going through her mind was, I tried to tell y'all. <laughs> I tried to tell y'all there was something different about my experience. There's something different about me being with child than it was with others being with child. And the way it was proven is when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. <laughs> When Jesus came out of the grave, you know, some people, many people have claimed to be Jesus Christ since that time. Many people have claimed to, if I ever, God forbid, if I ever stood here and said, I'm Jesus Christ, or, you know, after you tackle me and get rid of me. But I mean, if I ever claimed it and you thought, well, maybe he's right, I'll tell you a surefire way to tell. When I die, you sit out there by my grave and see if I come out of it. <laughs> If I come out of it, I'm Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I can tell you, you'll be wasting your time because I'm not Jesus Christ. And there was only one Jesus Christ. And the proof of his divinity was the resurrection from the dead. 
Praise God for the resurrection. See, the resurrection changes our understanding of Jesus. He's not just a great prophet. I know on the road to Emmaus that those two disciples, and we're going to turn there in a minute and look at it, those two disciples were walking along. They were downcast. They were sad in spirit. And they said, oh, well, Jesus, you know, don't you know when Jesus came along and their eyes were holding that they couldn't tell it was Jesus. He said, why are you so sad? He said, oh, hadn't you heard what's been going on? This man was a prophet. You know, they've already demoted him. They, they started, you know, when they were with him, he was the son of God. He, you know, Jesus, uh, Peter says to him, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't know if Peter was one of those walking. I know the name of one of them, but uh, maybe Peter was, maybe he wasn't. But whoever it was had heard Peter, they all believed that, and now he's demoted. He was a prophet. <laughs> we thought he was the one that was going to deliver Israel. And now it's been three days. <laughs> See, <clears throat> he's not just a prophet. We know that because of the resurrection. If he had died, Isaiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet because they stayed in the ground. But we're told in Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The way he, he was always the Son of God, but the way he was declared to be the Son of God is by the resurrection of the dead. Beloved, there are churches I've heard of that, uh, that do not believe and do not teach the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I affirm to you on the authority of the word of God this morning, that is not a real church. <laughs> and if you're in one of those churches, you need to get out of that church. Because I'll tell you, beloved, if you don't believe the resurrection, that is the foundational principle of what we believe here at this church. I know, let me, let me say this. I get, there, there was a man, we read about him already. His little daughter was, our son, I believe it was, was having many afflictions. And he made the statement, Jesus said, if you believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that nobody ever doubts. No, no good Christian, no good child of God ever doubts the resurrection. But I'll tell you, beloved, <laughs> that by faith we see it. By faith we, it's scientifically impossible. That's why it's a miracle, you see. That's why it's something that can't happen in nature. It's something that had to happen. It's a resurrection. A resurrection is something that is supernatural. And because of that, we understand that he is a powerful Savior. He is a powerful Savior. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he, he's, he's praying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. There is power in the resurrection. There is power to change our lives. Now, understand what I'm saying here. The resurrection um, is, is, is foolishness to the natural man. I'm not preaching this morning, though I trust, to natural men and women. I'm preaching to those who have been born of the Spirit. In the flesh, the resurrection is foolishness. In fact, uh, uh, even the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. But, if you, but, but the resurrection is power to the, to the one who's been made alive spiritually. And that power is power to change our lives. Beloved, it will change our conversations. It should change our conversations. Notice, let's look at the three women who went to the tomb there. Let's look at, we've already read about them here. Let's look at them beginning back in verses 1 through 8 here in, in Mark chapter 16. Notice, 
Notice that they came to the tomb. It was these three, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome. And they were going there, and they were very downcast in spirit. Look at verse 3. They said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? <laughs> this wasn't a statement of... That wouldn't, they weren't being inquisitive here. They were being desperate. They were in despair. It was spoken by women who only knew despair and expected defeat. They expected this immovable rock to be sealing his tomb. They came there to perform a hopeless task. Because it was the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to anoint his body with the spices and the, the, the things that they would normally do because it was the Sabbath. And so they, they hopelessly went there with an expectation that even if they could get the stone moved away, all they were going to be able to do was belatedly anoint a dead body in the hopes of masking the natural processes that occur at death. That's, that's, a, that's a thankless task, isn't it? You know, David Skelton is one of my good, dear friends. And, and I'm so thankful for the job that he does in the mortuary. I'm so thankful for the embalming that he, that he knows how to do. But I wouldn't want that job. What a, what a, what a depressing job it would be. What Because what all you're dealing with is death. And, and I've, I've dealt with it in my job. I've dealt with it in, 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 from time to time when I, was, uh, when I was having to go to scenes of deaths. And it was a depressing thing to go to the place where all you were going to find was a dead body. I remember the dread I would have when we'd get called out uh, on several occasions. Say, well, we found a dead body or we found someone that's been missing, and we know, you know, what a, what a sad, what a hope. I know that despair. I know that feeling. I know the feeling that it is when, when the family is called in, and the family is drawn, drawn together around the deathbed, and there's no hope there. It's a desperate feeling. It's a feeling of hopelessness. I get what these ladies were feeling as they went to that tomb that day. Death is a horrible thing. Death is called an enemy. And praise God, I, you know, I hate death. I, 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 there's not many funerals I've ever preached where I haven't made that statement. I hate death. It is, it, is, it is a hateful thing. But I'm in good company because Jesus Christ hated death and he hated it so much that he died to destroy death <laughs> and him that had the power of death. If you hate death this morning, don't feel bad. Because you're in good company. These ladies hated, I can see them desperate, downcast, desperate. And they get closer and they're saying, I, we don't, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Who's the, there's a stone in the way. We're not able to move the stone. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? <laughs> but notice what happened when they got there. Verse 4, when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. <laughs> And just in case you, you didn't get how significant this is, Peter tells Mark to write, for it was very great. This was a great stone, beloved. This, was a, this wasn't something that they would have been able to move on their own. <laughs> I'll tell you, beloved, the, the, the great obstacle when it comes to death in this, 
in, in, in our lives here as we walk. It's, it's like a stone that's in the way. It, 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 it divides us. It divides us from our loved ones. It divides us from those that we love. Uh, when my father took his last breath, uh, I was immediately separated from him. He, he was no longer with me, and there was nothing I could do about it, and there's nothing any of us can do about it, but praise God, there's one that did something about it. Because when they got there to the tomb that day, That great stone had been rolled away. They didn't roll it away. Somebody else had rolled it away. And when they went in and looked and they saw where Jesus' body ought to have been, where they had left it three days earlier, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And I'll tell you, you, if you ever have an encounter with an angel, you'll be scared too. You're not going to walk up to him and say, hey, old buddy, old pal, it's good to see you finally. (laughs) No. Everywhere we read about an angel appearing to anyone in the scripture, the first thing the angel had to say is, don't be afraid. (laughs) You know why? Because they were terrified. (laughs) An angel is a scary thing. An angel is so glorious and powerful and amazing. And, and, And so the first thing, they were affrighted, and he said, be not affrighted. Now look what he says to them. He knows what they're there for. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He affirms to them, he absolutely was crucified. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Jews, those disciples, pulled a, uh, some kind of con game on the Jews and they hit him out and then brought him back. Beloved, he was crucified. He really died. He cried out, really, it is finished. And he really Gave up the ghost. He was crucified. He's affirming here he was dead. But notice what he says. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. You know, ours is the only religion in the world where the tomb is empty. Ours is the only religion in the world where we don't have a memorial somewhere that, uh, that we can go to and say, well, this is where he was buried. His bones are buried there now. I, you know, we don't worship George Washington, but I've been up there to Mount Vernon, took the kids long, you know, many years ago, several years ago, and we actually got to go in and see. They, they laid a wreath at the tomb, and one of the children, I think Meredith, got to help uh, do that. They picked out one of the kids to go do it, and, and there's two there's two slabs of marble with a, with a tomb on top of them for George Washington and his wife. His bones, their bones are buried there. There is no such, there may be a tomb in Jerusalem today where people think Jesus was, and it may be the place he had been laid, but beloved, he's not there. His, you know, I said one time, sometime back, they had, a, they had a, a special on the Discovery Channel about they thought they'd found the tomb of Jesus. They found the body of Jesus, the bones of Jesus. But beloved, they hadn't found the bones of Jesus. <laughs> He is not there. He is risen. He is not here. And in one of the other Gospels, I believe it's Luke over there, the, 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 the angel says to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Why seek ye the living among the dead? You know, I hate to say it, but sometimes that's what we're doing here in this life. We're seeking that kind of life from among the dead things of this world. Beloved, you're not going to find the life that we have in Christ among the dead things of this world. You're, you may enjoy some things in this world. You may, you know, I enjoy football. I enjoy watching sports on TV. I enjoy participating in it, but I don't find fulfillment in that. I don't find life there that I find in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Sometimes they'll tell us in the world that the way to find that life is to work it up in your dead body and make some kind of choice. You need to seek Jesus because you need to dig way down deep inside and you'll find him. Beloved, all you're going to find way down deep inside is more of you, okay? And that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. I love you, and I'm thankful. But, but, you know, I love you all, but I'm so thankful. I believe the Lord has touched each one of you. I believe each one of you is a, is a born-again child of God because, quite frankly, if you weren't, y'all wouldn't be any fun to be around. <laughs> y'all, I'd be, I'd be afraid of y'all. I wouldn't want to be with y'all. But praise God, I feel like the Lord has touched y'all. There's something different and new in you. But if it was just you, I wouldn't like you. And guess what? You wouldn't like me either. You know why? Because I'm selfish. I want my way. I want to do what I want to do, not what you want to do. I don't want to love you. Indeed, I might want to say it, but I don't really want to act, actually have to live it out. Because in my heart of hearts, that is my natural heart, that Adam man, I'm just as sorry, selfish, and low down as anybody that's ever lived. And you are too. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. I, I, if you came here for me to build you up, I apologize. I can't build you up in the flesh, okay? Now, what I can do is this, though. I love you. Number one, I love you because Christ loved me. And that's the only way I could love you is that he made a difference in me. But number two, I love you because he made a difference in you. You know, there's a part of you that's not lovable, but there's a great part of you that is lovable. Same thing with me. Praise God. Because, but, but the world says, oh, just reach down deep inside and, 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 and educate yourself enough and learn enough and eventually make the right choices or do enough good works and you'll find life. Beloved, why seek ye the living among the dead? We're dead in trespasses and sins. It takes the life giver for us to have life. <laughs> why seek ye the living among the dead notice what he did he said he's risen he's risen behold the place where they laid him <laughs> and he tells them to go oh i love this let me just this is really a rabbit trail okay but boy it's so sweet it's so sweet look at verse seven go your way and tell his disciples and peter it brings me to tears beloved you know do you remember what peter did you remember what he did? He rejected him. He cursed. He said, I don't know the man. He denied him three times. That's the same Peter that we've been talking about that followed him afar off, that forsook him and fled, that uh, eventually was standing with the world and warming his hands there instead of standing with Christ. You know how much, do you remember when Jesus was talking? You know, he said, I'm fixing to go to Jerusalem. I'm about to die. And Peter says, Oh, no, not you. Well, he says, everybody's going to forsake me. Not me. No, no, not me, Lord. I'll be with you all the way. Hey, these others may leave you, but not me. <laughs> you know what? I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke. You know what uh, Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, Peter, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. He said, and when thou art converted, Strengthen the brethren. You know, sometimes we, do we not do the same thing that Peter does sometimes? Maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe not openly. Somebody hadn't necessarily, nobody's ever come up to me and said, hey, 
you're one of them Christians, aren't you? And I said, oh, no, not me. I've never done that, you know. But I tell you what, I've tried to fit in. I've acted like the world. I've talked like the world. I've been like the world because I wanted to fit in. I just didn't want to be singled out for any kind of persecution. That's what Peter was doing. He didn't want to be singled out for persecution. How many times in our lives have we done exactly what Peter did? But you know what Jesus said? Before he ever fell, he'd already prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. He said, and when you are converted, giving us the idea already that he's going to have to be converted, right? <laughs> when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And notice what he does here. This, this angel that is at the tomb who is telling Mary, the two Marys and Salome here to go tell the disciples said, you go tell the disciples, but you make sure you tell Peter. You make sure you tell Peter. How many times in my life have I received a word of encouragement from one of God's servants that I know was sent from God when I needed it the most? Peter, I love that song, He's Alive. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a, it's a pretty long contemporary Christian song. And it tells a story of the time between the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection and appearance to the disciples and apostles from the perspective of Peter. And that's what we're reading about here in, the chapter, in, in, in Mark, if, if indeed the historical record is accurate, that, that, it's, that it's, this is Peter's perspective. Can you imagine how he must have felt? Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? You know, there's a part of him that is despairing because Jesus died. But when he, when he hears the message that he may be still alive, is there not also going to be a part of him that's in despair because now he's alive? And after all the times I forsook him, now I've got to face him again? Can you, can you identify with that? I can identify with that. That, that, that it's almost as fearful to me that he is alive and that he does know what I've done and how I've forsaken him. It's a scary feeling. One of the lines in that song said, even if he was alive, it wouldn't be the same. Oh, but Peter, you just don't know your Jesus. You just don't know your Savior like he really is. Because listen, I get it. When we deal with one another and we disappoint one another and we get mad at one another and people are angry at each other, it's hard to make it the same again. I've had that experience with people that I've been close to where I've, I've, I've been close friends with them and they do something or maybe I do something to offend them and it's hard to reconcile back and it be like it was and you just want it to be like it was before the offense occurred. And beloved, it's hard to do that in our lives. Oh, but praise God, we've got a Savior who doesn't just forgive, He forgets. I can't, you know, we always say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, you're not being like Christ. <laughs> of course, I know it's hard to forget. I get that we're human, but Jesus Christ forgives and He forgets. And Peter, it's going to be the same and even better. It's going to be even greater, but you just can't see that right now. <laughs> but this man, this angel says, you go tell Peter. You tell the disciples, but you make sure you tell Peter. And notice when they leave here. It says, they went out quickly and fled the sepulcher. They, for they trembled and were amazed. And neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. 
<clears throat> let, me, let me give you a little modern update here. According to the modern translators, this is where the Gospel of Mark ends. That it ends at verse 8 with them in fear and afraid and trembling. That it just sort of leaves the, leaves the story dangling right there. That's what they say. But that's one reason I don't have any confidence in the modern translations <laughs> or the modern translators. Because back when this Bible was translated, the manuscripts they had the access to took us on down to verse 20. Praise God for that. But I will say this, even if it ended at verse 8, it's still pretty glorious because we're going to probably have to end it here. <laughs> I thought we might get through with it today. Maybe we'll finish up tonight. But notice it says, they went out quickly and fled, for they trembled and were amazed. I, I was interested in those, the, the definitions of those words there. Uh, certainly, as, as I always tell you, when we go into a word study, we're not trying to improve on the King James translation, but it does shed a little light on what the translators were looking at there. And that word amazed, is, it comes from the Greek word ecstasis. Ecstasis. Does it sound like some modern word we have? You ever heard the word ecstasy? ecstasy it says they were amazed they were in an ecstasis and the, the the definition of that from strong's concordance is it is a throwing of the mind out of its normal state in other words you might could have said here I and mean, we certainly we wouldn't do this i'm not again criticizing the translation but we might put it this way today we might say their minds were blown <laughs> it blew their minds what they saw at the tomb there it's a throwing of the mind out of its normal state and for example it's that it, it, it gives an example of that of the man who by some sudden emotion is transported as it were out of himself so that in this rapt condition although he is awake his mind is so drawn off from all surrounding objects and wholly fixed on things divine that he sees nothing but the forms and images of the divine and thinks that he perceives with his bodily eyes and ears realities shown him by God. Now that's just a long way of saying they were in ecstasy. They, their minds were blown. They were focused upon what they had seen. This same word elsewhere is translated as when Peter, it talks about Peter and Paul going into a trance. They were, they were so focused upon God, they were so focused upon what they had seen that they could not see anything around them. And that's what it's saying here. They left there, they were still in fear, they were troubled, they didn't understand everything, but they were in an ecstasy, they were, in a, they were amazed at what had happened. And they went out, and you're going to see it says in verse uh, uh, 9, it says Jesus was risen, when he was risen on the early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. The very same Mary Magdalene who had, uh, uh, whom he had just, uh, who had just been to the tomb, he appeared to her, and, and you can read about that over, over in uh, uh, the other gospel. It says she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. Look at their downcast attitude. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. <laughs> oh, but look at the difference here. Look at the difference. This, this 
This resurrection, the, the, the fact of the resurrection changed Mary's conversations. It changed the, the way they were talking. They went to the tomb. They were downcast. Who's going to roll the stone away? All we're going to do here is find a dead body, and we're going to have to anoint it with the spices. But then when they left there, they left a different way. They were going to tell the disciples. Mary ends up telling them, let me explain what has happened to me. <laughs> Beloved, the resurrection changes everything. Now, we don't have time to finish this up this morning. Lord willing, we're going to come back to it maybe tonight. But I want to ask you a question. Does the resurrection make a difference in your life? Does it make a difference? <clears throat> you see, Jesus, we're told, is the first fruits. And that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Jesus' resurrection tells us that Something else is coming. The fact that he's the first fruits, you know what the first fruits did? The first fruits sacrifice guaranteed the rest of the harvest in the Old Testament. You know what Jesus' resurrection tells us? It guarantees our resurrection. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, as we bring this to a close this morning, Those Corinthians were struggling with the resurrection. They, they, they didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. Many of them said that it wasn't going to happen. And after affirming the gospel, the good news that he had delivered to them, and affirming the resurrection of Christ, in verse 12, Paul begins to deal with that struggle that they had about not believing in the resurrection. He said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you among uh, some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. He said, don't, you know, if, if, if we, I've been telling you that Christ rose, we have, by the way, there's all kinds of proof of his resurrection. He just went through it. He said he was, uh, uh, he was buried, he rose again, and he was seen of Peter, and then of the 12, and of 500 brethren at once. And you know, one of the, you know, one of the great proofs of the resurrection, how many, I don't even know the numbers, but go research it sometime. How many of those first century Christians were willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ. There's not many people that are willing to die for a lie. There's not many people that are willing to die and lay down their lives for something that they know is not true. They believed it because they had seen it, you see. But he says, so you're saying there's no resurrection, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. There's some severe consequences to, to, to Christ not having been resurrected. And the most dire consequence is that it's hopeless. You're still in your sins. All of God's children that he died for, supposedly, are yet sinners on a one-way track to hell. So he says, if that's the case, then it's pretty bad. But note, notice what he keeps on saying. He says, then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
you know, and, and I get that. I mean, these ladies that were going to the tomb, all they knew was the death of Christ. All they knew was his burial. They were in despair. The disciples were mourning and weeping. Beloved, if Jesus is not risen, then all I can do today is stand before you and mourn and weep because I have no hope apart from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Paul, I can say, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. You see, Jesus Christ's resurrection is the firstfruits of those who have died and those who, all those who will ever die. He is the firstfruits of that. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that because He is resurrected, we will be resurrected. Paul will later write to the Romans. He'll, say, uh, he'll, he'll tell us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world he'll talk about uh, being predestinated to be conformed to his image he says all them that are predestinated them are called all that are called are justified and all that are justified are glorified in the past tense he'll tell us that they're glorified you and I are not glorified this morning we are not in that glorified state my body is decaying as we speak I'm getting older I'm getting forgetful I'm getting slower I'm getting weaker I'm getting sicker and you are too even you young folks you are born but to die the only thing that you can expect in this life is ultimately death but beloved because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the fact of his resurrection because of the truth of his resurrection because of the glory of his resurrection one day we will be glorified and it's so certain that God has already called it to be so <laughs> I'm not glorified but in the mind and purpose of God I'm already glorified isn't that wonderful He's the first fruits. Beloved, the resurrection changes everything. I hope it changes your outlook in life this week. I hope as you struggle with problems in your life, I hope as you struggle with sickness and maybe even death in your life, I hope as you struggle with disappointment and conflict and troubles, you will remember this, that the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected and because He was resurrected, you will be resurrected one day. And all this trouble and trial that you're going through now, as tough as it is, I'm not diminishing it. It's hard. It's tough. But all of this trouble and trial, as hard as it is, will one day be over and we will be like Him. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.